Mark My Words shares Mark Homer's contrarian views on investing, business, finance, economics, and all things money. Mark interviews the world's most successful business, finance, and money experts, as well as imparting his knowledge in a factual, direct, and no-nonsense manner. Welcome to Mark My Words, and here is your host, Mark Homer. Hi, Mark Homer here, and welcome to Mark My Words. Last week, I went to the Progressive Property Network in Mayfair, down in London, to present to a lot of Progressive Property community members on taking commercial buildings and converting them into residential, into apartments or rooms, one of my favourite topics. It got quite heated, we had a lot of questions, a lot of interested people in the room, and you know we got a lot of information out on the evening. So I hope you enjoy this. It's something a little bit different. Here goes. Please give Mark Homer a huge round of applause. Well, good evening. What an honour. Okay, so I'm going to talk to you this evening about what I love to do when you know I'm sort of rolling around in my little box back at Progressive, my office, and. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm basically doing deals, which is sort of what I really, really enjoy doing. And over the years, obviously, bought several hundred smaller single lets and then HMOs, and then we've sort of graduated up into these commercial deals. And it's, it's been a, a staged process and started off sort of these little council houses and then, then did a, a kind of bigger HMO, maybe a five bed, did an eight bed, and then moved into pubs. 3,000 square foot pubs and then moved into 10, 12,000 square foot office buildings and I'm just on the cusp of doing a 100,000 square foot building at the moment. So I'll, I'll discuss that, not today because it's sort of sensitive at the moment. I'll go into that in a little bit more detail. But what I'm going to talk about now is deals that we've been doing. I'm going to do a whole load of case studies and I'm going to talk through a load of numbers, I'm going to talk through how we've done them, how you know, we've managed to extract value, the way you can do the same thing you know, yourself when you're sort of looking around your area, the kind of professionals you need, you know, all the things that help you grow business. So this is, a, this is the last project that we've just finished. That's the City Club in Peterborough. Has anyone seen that building before? Maybe on the Progressive Property Community? Just finished it, just had it valued, I've got all the numbers, it's all finished. So. So we'll go through that very shortly. So what is the opportunity? How, why is this commercial stuff good? And why do I like to do it? Well, it's been going on a few years. You know, 2010, I, I started getting into this. And it was particularly attractive back then because commercial buildings didn't just drop. Where we were, they probably went down by about 70%, somewhere between 50, 60, 70%. So it was a massive fall. Why did they fall so much? Yeah, lending, yes, definitely. Why else? Financial yeah, financial crisis meant the, the lenders became a lot more averse to lending against these. And actually, it's still a lot more difficult to finance a commercial building, especially if it's empty. You, can't, you usually can't get any finance on it apart from bridging. Yeah, government policies being, what specifically? Well, the thing that really pushed the value of these down was the empty property rates. Do you remember they introduced empty property rates on commercial buildings? And with that building there, the empty property rates on it were... Actually, it wasn't as high as it could have been because the rent was relatively low. But a building like that normally in Peter would probably be about 40 
50,000 a year, even if it was empty, in empty property rates. Okay? So it's like council tax for commercial buildings. So they introduced that a few years ago. That pushed the values down in a big way. The internet permeated. The credit crunch you know, pushed that even further. Uh, and it meant more people were working from home. Less office space was needed. Less commercial buildings were needed. And you know, the, these buildings dropped massively in value. Okay? So clearly, the government responded. You know, through the credit crunch, they made a lot of these buildings permitted development. What does that mean? Is there anybody any idea? You don't need full planning permission. <coughs> Time-wise, a lot quicker. Yes, that, that is a benefit. Maybe not the benefit right at the top of the list, but the time is important. What else? Well, that's, that certainty, I'd say, is the number one thing. Yeah. Why, why is certainty so important? Do, do councils always give you certainty no. with the planning process? No. no, not always. And if you applied for planning permission on the same building, but put two applications in, it went to two different offices, you could end up with a very different result. It is inconsistent. It's just that's the way it is, and it, it's quite political. It depends which planning consultant you use, and sometimes it depends who you are. You know, the, the, the permitted development rights were brilliant because they, they created certainty. Basically, the council can't say no as long as there are the highway safety, you know, there's no highway safety issues, not in a flood zone, and there's one more. I'm trying to think, the noises is another one, and then there's a foot, that's the new one, noises, and then there's another one, which is. Can't remember. There's one other thing that they can look at as well. So for offices, that's permanent, still works. There aren't as many offices now, but there are still, you know, stuff coming up. I know in Peterborough, uh, I know a guy that's just started another office, you know, conversion. So they're still there, they're still around. You know, certainly as people come out of offices, they work. Some of the values certainly around Peterborough went too far. Where, where I am, you probably wouldn't want to be spending more than about 70 pounds a foot. And people were, you know, went right up to kind of 100 quid a foot. And I'd say at that level where we are, you can't make any money because the flats, once they're finished, are probably only worth 230, 240 a foot. And, you know, if you've got all the costs in between, where, where's the profit? So I'd say where we are, the, the, the price of those has come back a little bit, which is quite good. That's a big positive. What else is so good about permitted development? Why else are permitted development rights so good? Massive thing. Yeah. Sorry? Wait for the what? Prior approval. Yeah. Yeah, prior, prior approval is the application you put in to use the permitted development rights. It's the same thing. Yeah. Well, it, yeah, but you, you should use a planning consultant to put it in so it's all, you know, the planning consultant will charge you a few thousand. So a huge benefit is that you don't need any affordable housing. That's a massive thing. What is affordable housing? Sorry? Local forces? Local forces. Oh, local authorities, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it, what it is, is basically where, where I am, if you do any development over 15 units, so if it's houses or flats and it's over 15 units, 30% of the houses or flats which you convert or you build, you have to give them to the local housing association. And the local housing association will pay you for them, but they'll just pay you the cost of creating them. 
So basically, you lose, if you're making 20% on the development, you lose 20% of your profit on a third of the site. So if I was doing you know, a, a block of flats, let's say it was 20 flats, I'd probably have to give six away, and let's say I was making 20 grand a flat, that's 120 grand that's just gone down the swanee of my profit. Because a lot of the time they don't want the flats, they just take what's called a commuted sum, affordable housing um, uh, commuted sum, uh, you know, and that, and that covers that. What else do you not have uh, uh, as well as affordable housing? Definitely unit sizes, so they can't control the size of your apartments. So you can, put, you can do very small apartments. I'd always recommend they're 30 metres squared and above, because people won't be able to mortgage them otherwise. But you know, there's a big benefit there, because lots of councils want big flats. They have size standards. Even though they're not enforceable, they still try to enforce these size standards when you go for planning permission. But permitted development, there aren't any. So you'll see lots of people doing these big blocks with very, very small flats. That's often permitted development, because they wouldn't get away with it otherwise. What else <coughs> are the big advantages? Sorry? No, no infrastructure No community infrastructure levy, which is SIL. But luckily, where we are, if you build more than 15 flats, there's no community infrastructure levy, which is a bit weird, really. But over 15, there isn't any. But you've got affordable housing. Maybe they think, because we're in quite a low-value area, I think maybe they realise you're not going to do it if you've got both. So the SIL, community infrastructure levy, is, is another sort of thing you have to pay. But that gets removed under permit development. There's none of that to, to pay. Do you know in uh, London boroughs yeah. uh, how, how that is uh, affected? Is it in place or...? Is what in place? Well, you're talking about SIL. Permitted development or SIL. No, SIL. Yeah, yes, it is. But it's different for each borough. borough. Yeah, and it, it varies, you know, according to the council. How do you find out, because you've just hit upon an important point, how do you find out what the SIL or the affordable housing or the sort of... Because there are some exclusion areas with permitted development. You can't... There's 17 areas, and they're pretty tight... It's not across the whole borough. There are 17 areas across the country, though, where you can't do this. How do you find out about all that? How do you find out what these numbers are? Yeah, if you rang the planning office, they may tell you, although, uh, yeah, maybe. Yes, who, who said that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, every borough has one. Every, you know, every council area. If you're in Peterborough, you just type in Peterborough Council Local Plan, yeah? On there, it, it outlines what the local rules are. So another massive one, when you're applying for planning permission, another massive area in which they will control you is parking. Yeah? With permitted development, actually, they can't really control you. you know, they can't say you've got to have so many spaces per flat. So there's a, another benefit there, another big benefit. How do you work out if you need to apply for planning, or if it's not an office, if it's a pub or something like that, how do you work out how many spaces per flat you need? It's in the plan. It's in the local plan. So it says that what the parking standards are for each area. So this local plan is, is rich with knowledge. Uh, it's rich with information. So it's a very valuable document. And you should read it and you should learn it. And, and actually it will, if you're in my area, it, it varies according to which part of the town you're in. So each, each part of the town has kind of different policies. So I know if I'm doing a development in the core, which is right in the city centre, if I need planning permission, 
sorry, even if I need planning permission, I, have, I don't have to provide any car parking spaces for apartments or for rooms, as long as it's within the city centre core. And there's a line that goes around the core. And I've done a pub, which is one street away from the core, and they won't have it. They want one, one space per room, or, or uh, two spaces per two-bed apartment, if you're slightly outside the core, because there are different parking standards. So this local plan and the map shows you all this stuff. It's really valuable. So you want to get to know this for your area. So permitted development gets you around a lot of this stuff. Afford, there's no sale, there's no, oh yeah, it was on the screen, wasn't it? So I was asking, yeah. So there's no sale, no affordable. Lots of that stuff's gone. I think, actually, you know, I'm sort of uncommon sense, you know, the contrarian. I, I sort of think a lot of the opportunity with this stuff is with the stuff that needs planning. Certainly in my area, most of the developers are all over the offices and the permitted development stuff. And yeah, it still works to some extent. But there's lots of empty buildings where I am that need planning permission. So what kind of buildings might they be? Pubs, Pubs definitely, yes. Industrial. Yeah, industrial. Yeah, there's less where we are just because they get, they're sort of getting filled up now. But definitely around the country, loads of B8 warehousing and industrial, their permitted development up to 500 square meters, yeah? Yeah, what other kind of buildings? Offices. Well, the, the offices are permitted development. There's less of those now because they're, they're very attractive, very easy for developers. What other yes. stuff? De yes, hotels, yeah, sorry? Yeah, D, so D is, D1 is drinking, no, D4 is drinking establishment. D1, does anyone know what D1 is? Health. Health, yeah. Care, care homes, place of worship. There was a church in Peterborough that went, and I sort of chickened out because I just thought, God, look at all the, you know, really high and these massive stained glass windows. <laughs> so this is going to be a nightmare. Not listed. Not listed. Really important because, you know, when they're listed, oh, no, not a good idea. Locally listed is okay, but you know when it's a statutory listing, i.e. grade two or grade one, or, you probably don't want to be doing this stuff because the, the conservation officer is going to stop you taking a load of the walls out and you won't get much density. So, I, yeah, there are churches that aren't listed and they, they can work. They're obviously beautiful buildings, but uh, just be careful about the costs of converting those. What other kind of buildings? Loads of nightclubs in Peterborough. There's retail that's empty. There's honestly a stack of nightclubs, a load of them. What other stuff? Care homes. Care homes, yeah. Say that again? Yeah, probably not so good for this, really. No. There was a petrol station where I am, but the issue with those is the tanks underneath. But you can, you know, you can sort of get around that. But yeah, they put a little co-op, one-stop shop on it. I, I looked at it and looked at it, and if I, you know, thought about ringing bloody co-op, then I'd have a nice investment there. But someone else has done it. So yeah, that that lots of people get scared off because of the tanks under petrol petrol stations. But you can claim. You can claim um, remedial property relief for bringing, you know, for cleaning the tanks out and bringing it back into use. So that's quite good. Can you get planning on these buildings for residential? <laughs> yeah. yeah, in lots of areas you can. How do you work out whether you can or you can't? Yeah, speak, speak to local planning department. But often it's a good idea to get a planning consultant to do that for you. Why is that? Yeah, they're familiar with it. They know all the, they usually know the offices, they know the local rules, and they know the way around everything. 
where we are, they're very, they absolutely want apartments in the city centre. They're really interested in that. But you know, not in all areas. Some areas they're a little bit more difficult. But they, you know, this housing crisis still exists. You know, they've just released the white paper. Councils are under pressure. You know, if they don't have their housing, you know, their, their housing supply, you know, all documented and, and, and where they need new homes, you know, in, in the plan and they haven't updated their local plan, they're going to start getting into more and more bother with central government, these local councils are. So there's more pressure building on them to give planning consents for residential sites. So it's, it's quite good. You know, we, we, we're in quite a good period. So if you're going to convert these kind of buildings, you may have SIL, yeah, which isn't, often it's not loads. How, what about affordable housing? How do you deal with that? Some councils in London, at least the current council, you know, uh, if you are doing more than uh, 12 plus, yeah. then uh, it's uh, 20%. You mentioned about yeah. 15 uh, per Yeah, where we are, 30. Yeah. Yeah. There is an option for you to contribute money. Yeah. Say that, that's all over. It's called a commuted sum. So they, they do that all over the country. A good idea to get that, that commuted sum down is to use somebody who specialises in negotiating these affordable housing requirements. If they're saying 30% often on viability, you can show that the scheme wouldn't be viable, i.e. you wouldn't make enough money, and therefore they will reduce the commuted sum, or they'll reduce the affordable housing requirement. What else can you do if it's an empty building? And I'm going to give you a nugget now. This is, this is gold. I found this out two weeks ago, seriously, and I'm just about to use it. And if it works, it's going to save us £600,000. Yeah, hard cash. And I'm, I, we've already spoken to the council, and do you know what they said when we asked them about it? What's that? Yeah, what's that? We'll have a look. Honestly, what's that? We'll have a look. So they went away, had a look, came back and said, yeah, yeah, I think it would apply. Yeah, and we went through two of them in the council, and they, they've confirmed that. So if you've got an empty building, and it's not permitted development, there's something called the vacant building credit. Has anyone heard of that? So vacant building credit, and I need to, I need to thank Glenn Dell for this because he got me onto it. The vacant building credit, it went, it, uh, the government introduced it some time ago, but a, a, a judge decided that they hadn't used the right procedure and rescinded it. But then an appeal court judge in June decided actually it is legal. So they've reintroduced it. And what it says, <laughs> I know this is typical of this country, what it says is, is basically if you find an empty building and you've got affordable housing or SIL to pay, if you bring that building back into use, and I think it can be residential or commercial, you don't need to pay affordable housing or SIL contributions. Pretty crazy, isn't it? Is there a limit on the time? How long is it? Do you know what? It's not stated. It's grey. You can't have intentionally made the building empty, but yeah, there's no, it doesn't say, no. It just says the building needs to be empty, the structure needs to be empty. It doesn't even say if, you know, you've got two tenants in there and part of the building's empty, because we've asked them this, and there isn't, it's not clear. It'll have to go to court for that to be clarified. And then a judge will decide, and then another one will disagree, and, you know, the one who's kind of in the higher court will prevail over the lower court. 
as usual. Interesting, isn't it? So that's, that's something you can use with this, and you can reduce those contributions quite a lot. What about space standards? Do you, do you, you know how these councils want you to do really big flats? How do you get around that? Those are usually for uh, guidance for planning the development. Yeah. Initially. Yeah. Isn't it more for sort of housing associations and trusts? Yeah. So housing associations always want bigger units. But even if you're not building for a housing association and you're putting a planning application in, the council will try and tell you that they need to be 50 or 60 square metre flats. But the reality is there are no minimum space standards. And if you get a really good planning consultant, the council will find it very difficult to defend it. In fact, they probably won't be able to. They may refuse the planning permission initially, but then usually on appeal with the inspector, they will allow it all because you can't defend against these minimum space standards. Okay, so that's another sort of you know, thing the council will try and do. Lots of councils will stop you doing things in planning that they're not allowed to do. I know this sounds weird, but so many times I've applied for planning, the council said no, but the planning consultant have gone, it's fine, they're so important, they're worth their weight in gold. Yeah, you need good professionals. There is a tax allowance for commercial property when yeah. Converting claims for yeah. the, the structure investments. For VAT, you mean? Yeah. 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 Is, that, is it applied to any type of commercial property or certain type of property? No, all of it. So when you're, when you're converting from a commercial building into apartments or into HMOs, i.e. commercial to residential, the builder should always charge you 5% VAT, not 20. Yeah? Doesn't, all commercial buildings. They should always charge you 5% VAT. It's an incentive that the government have given you, reducing the cost of conversion. The same thing applies if you've got a residential property and it's been empty for two years. It's 5% VAT. The builder may say to you, oh, no, no, that's not right. Just refer them to VAT 708. VAT 708. Get your accountant, sorry, just write them a letter, putting in there, you know, I'm doing a commercial conversion, here's the planning permission or the, the prior approval notification, and get them to send that to their accountant, and their accountant will just confirm it to them. I had it with a window supplier recently. He just swore blind that I was wrong and all sorts, and in the end, in the end, he agreed to talk to his accountant, and then he ran me back and just immediately changed it all. So, I wasn't, I wasn't referring to the OK. Uh, Let's say, for instance, air conditioning. Capital allowances. Is that applied to all sort of commercial? Yes. Every commercial building I've ever bought, that applies as long as the previous owners have not claimed. Yeah. So we, Rob and I have been claiming capital allowances for years. A building I'm sort of trying to do at the moment has potentially got 1.5 millions worth of capital allowances which can go against 40% can go against 40% tax or or 20% tax. So they are really really valuable. Capital allowances are if you bought this building and let's say you you know you you purchased it and it went into a company, you get a capital allowance survey around, he'd look at all the plant and machinery items. So you know all the signage the boiler, the radiators, you know, all the all the fire alarm system, all that stuff, the plant and machinery items. He'd identify them all. He'd put take pictures, put them in a report, 
and in rough terms, about 20% of the purchase price of the building can be offset against corporation tax. So this building we're in now, what do we think this is worth? I know this is a big <coughs> high-end example, but what do we think this is worth? I haven't got a clue, by the way. Uh, sorry? That much? 30? I was going to go at 20. So, so, so 30 million, there are probably 6 million pounds worth of capital allowances in this building, um, which could go against, if you bought in a limited company, it would go against corporation tax at 20%. So that could be worth, what, 1.2 in hard, hard tax saving? And then obviously if you converted it, the plant and machinery items that you put in to the building can be further com uh, claimed. And if, it's a, if you say you did it into a block of flats, you just do the communal areas, the landlord areas, yeah? But if you, if you refurbished it into another commercial building, you could do all of the plant and machinery items. So there's a big benefit there. There's a lot of money which you can sort of save, make from capital allowances. They're very, very valuable. They don't work with residential buildings, only with commercial buildings. Okay, so more planning, relaxations coming. What's happened recently, very recently? White paper, yeah. So what's happening in the white paper? What, are the, what were the main changes that they were proposing in the white paper? Yeah, they're saying they're going to ease up the planning process. They say they're going to employ more people in the planning department. <laughs> well, I mean, that is part of the problem, for sure. There aren't enough of them, and they're overworked, yeah? And in Scotland, it's no permissive development, and the planning department is so far behind months and months. Oh, it doesn't surprise me. I bet Northern Ireland's just even worse, isn't it? The further out you go, I mean, can you imagine trying to do this on Orkney or something? It'd be, it'd be a complete nightmare, won't it? Yeah. Mind you, places like that, sometimes you can sort of circumvent, you know what I mean? It's pretty lax, isn't it? We've got an area like that. Has anyone heard of Fenland? It's sort of down the road from where we are. It's like the Wild West. They just sort of, the rules are sort of, you know, they all just think they're there to be broken. It's ten to a house and all that sort of thing. It's just unbelievable. But you just get areas like that. So the white paper is going to be a big thing, or has been a big, they, they've, they've sort of released it, but they haven't released all of the detail. And the detail's the important bit, isn't it? It's the really, really important bit. So the detail in the white paper, when it comes out, you know, I'll be all over it, I'll be reading it, I'll be very, very interested in what it says. But the... the, the well, there's probably a lot, quite a lot of money in that document, but if you, if you, if you look at, you know, the, the content of that, it's already, they're talking about being able to build up to the height of the buildings around the building that you're trying to increase, yeah? So they're talking about making that permitted development. So you might not need planning permission to increase the height of the roof. Can you see some benefits in London? <laughs> uh, any buildings. But they haven't, they haven't clarified all the rules yet. Uh, well, it's out, but it's, it's sort of... Oh, lots of it's under consultation and yeah. So have I, but it, it you just don't know when they're going to do it and when they're going to release all this sort of stuff. So yeah, I, I'm trying to go up uh, a few floors, and I'm going to have to go into planning because 
I thought they were going to release all the detail and get it rolling with the white paper, but now they're back into consultation. They've put it off so many times. Yeah. Yeah. Irrespective of whether you have to go planning or not. Yeah. Um, can you still get around the um, sill rules um, depending on the number of units that you put on the top? Well, it depends what area you're you're in, but you know, in our area, if you did more than fifteen, you'd be out of sill. You wouldn't need yeah, to. Yeah. But do you mean with the vacant building credit? Is that what you're no, about? No, I'm talking about an existing building block of flats. Yeah. You'd normally have sill and affordable housing on it, yeah. You, you know, so you'll put a timber, timber construction up there or maybe me Mexec. You get Mexec construction. So, yeah, you'll still have affordable if it goes over the threshold. Yeah, there'll be a... Okay, well, sill then. Uh, there's no, I don't think there's any sill below 10 everywhere. I think 10's a, a threshold as well. Certainly where we are, there's nothing below 10. And then there's nothing over 15 apartments where we are. So it only seems to be between 10 and 15 where we are. I've that in the council. In the local plan. Yeah, in the local plan. So the white paper is saying that building up is going to be easier. So you want to keep your eye on that. If you find buildings where the, you know, the neighbouring buildings are higher and you can do a conversion now, you've probably got another conversion later on, possibly under permitted development or at the least you should be able to get planning relatively easier later, even if you can't now. So keep your eye on that. There's some new schemes which are helping developers. I'm looking at trying to get a scheme going using the Home Building Fund, which is a, uh, a government sort of back scheme to help small developers. You have to be you know, a small builder and the scheme wouldn't be viable. You wouldn't be able to do it without. It's quite cheap money. You want to give them a call. Uh, that's the HCA, the Homes and Communities Agency. Yeah, it's quite a, a useful, you know, they're, they're very flexible and sort of, you know, friendly. And so, so I'd definitely give them a call. And what they're saying in this white paper is that PRS schemes, so private rented sector schemes, are going to be easier to get planning on. So what, what's a private rented sector scheme? What is a PRS scheme? Has anybody any idea? Yeah, build to rent, so you might build a block of flats and rent it out. And if you've got planning for a block of flats to rent out, you'll have to rent it out. It'll be just for that purpose. And you'll probably get planning easier when these rules change. And you might not have the same affordable housing or sill contributions. And you're probably going to be forced to have longer term leases, which might be three to five years. So, you know, they, they're, they're going to be the new sort of private rented sector schemes, which is, they're quite interesting. This is what the government is trying to encourage now. You know, all these buy-to-let buy tax changes that have been, that are being levied against people who own the properties in their own name. Notice how they're not, they don't apply to limited companies. Why is that? Why does the government say it is? Because you don't always know what they're up to. Why is that? Because, because they're trying to encourage these private rented sector schemes to, you know, to flourish and to, to, to build these big buildings. Yeah? So they're basically saying that they, they want kind of bigger, more professional landlords rather than sort of you know, Mrs. Jones who owns one accidental landlord type property. So the basics, so, so you're looking for PD or 
sites with no sill or affordable. The planning consultant is absolutely key on all of these. I usually get a, a QS in to monitor the development as it's going. I love using, you know, different people to check up on the builder, although sort of he tends to price it according to which professionals I appoint. <laughs> so basically if it's the friendly architect that he likes, it's, it's a cheaper price. Whereas if I get a swine in who's going to check everything, he kind of adds another 5% on. Uh, which is, uh, he's obviously trying to encourage me to do something. Density is so important. How do you get the density up? How would you do it? Smaller sizes, yes. You can utilise corridors more, yeah. But how do you do all this if you've never done it before? You need a really good architect. And there are certain architects who know how to sweat stuff, you know, put stuff in the loft cavity, you know, get stuff on the back, go into the boiler room, you know, all these little nooks and crannies you can get value out of. A good architect can get you a lot more out of a scheme. And I'm just using one at the moment who's, who's really, really good for that. So, you know, with time, you get to see all these people. Actually, my builder's great. Uh, the architect sort of draws it, and then he goes, ah, you know, he gets hold of it. This Polish guy, yeah, bullshit, you know, and puts his lines through it. He does. This happens every time. The architect, fucking idiot, like this, and stupid, like this, and then draws it all out. And because he's a builder, he, he just kind of goes, right, we'll smash through there, we'll do that. And the architect often comes along and goes, yeah, he's right. So you certainly want... <laughs> You certainly want to involve your builder because they understand how the engineering of the building works and how you can... So often, we've started... You know, the architect's drawing it up. We've started a project, got planning permission. Builder gets on site. On this last one, he found a... He calls it the secret room. And, of course, the architect didn't even know it was there. But the builder noticed another window and got, got his hammer and smashed through, and he found this bloody room that was just sort of hidden in the loft cavity. He put another flat in there. <laughs> so, I, so I end up with all these sort of retrospective planning applications, do you know what I mean? But often, seriously, in these buildings, you end up... I mean, the, the, the office building that I'm going to show you in a minute, there was, a, there was a, like a storage area at the top, which they'd been using for file storage, you know, it was in the eaves, you know, there were, you wouldn't have been able to put windows to see out, all that sort of stuff. The architect looked at it and said, oh, the roof height's not good enough, blah, 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 not going to work, whatever. Polish guy got up there and just went, ah, oh, bullshit, brilliant, straight through, and he put two flats in there. <laughs> Seriously, the one was 60 metres squared, the other was about 50 metres squared, uh, and we got another 280 grand's worth of value out of the building just because... Martin went in there and just sort of smash, smash, smash through, through a few walls and just called them all idiots. So it, you, it, it's, it's very valuable having people like that around, yeah? Because remember, you know this extra stuff you add on, it's almost all profit, isn't it? Obviously, apart from the cost of doing it, you've already got the building, you've already paid for the professionals, you've already paid for the finance, so it, a lot more of it goes to the bottom line. It's very profitable, this... this you know, the, the cream, the extra stuff that you get on top. OK, so this was that building where he went up into the third storey up there, you know, where he found extra space. We got 23 apartments out of that. I bought it for 350 Yeah, it was cheap. It was credit crunch time. Development cost was about 800 and the value was 2.2. That was permitted development. I sold all of those, so they all went. 
so yeah, that was a that was a really good project. How much did that building sell for in 2006 to the people that we bought it off? 600 1.6 million. Wow. When it was an office, it was an office. It was it was the police station. Then it became something else. And then it was an accountant's office. So that's how much that that dropped by 80 percent. Um, yeah, yeah, but yeah, 2010, I think we, it took ages to go through. I don't think we even got it through until 11, 12 or something like that. Was that linked to the value of the business? Yeah, it was actually. What happened was, crafty little devil, there was an accountant who ran his business out of there and he signed a long lease, 10 years or whatever, accountancy firm, you know, pretty good local firm, all that sort of stuff. Signed, you know, good strong rent, then slapped it in the auction. These guys from Manchester bought it miles away. Not always a good idea. Didn't really know the area. Paid 1.6 for it. And then lo and behold, this accountant sells his accountancy firm a year later. He knew he was going to do it and uh, sold it. And then they moved out and guess they stopped paying the rent. I don't know. It probably wasn't a very good covenant. Do you see what I mean? Back in those days, there were deals like that going on. Today, the bank probably wouldn't fund it, do you know what I mean? But there was a lot of that. And the, these guys, they, um, they lost a lot of money. That was the interior. So it's, it's, it's always a good idea, especially if you're a bloke like me, who doesn't know how to make things look good, to get an interior designer involved. So I get my fiance to do that stuff because she can make stuff look good like I can't. It makes a big difference, the amount you can sell the units for. And if you're gonna rent them, I rented these initially and then sold quite a few to buy to let investors. Quite a few went to you know, homeowners as well. But there's a lot of value in getting a good interior designer. You know, they, they, won't, they won't charge you loads, especially if you're doing a load of units, the, the value is split over them. If you're doing an apartment scheme like this as well, you must do a show flat. You've got to make the show flat look really swanky and then sell all the units off plan as you are developing the building. That was something I didn't do early enough. Uh, the show flat came too late. How many flats would you say you've got above the show flat in there? Uh, probably 10, something like that. Yeah. So where do you find buildings like this? Well, I drive around a lot. I'm talking to commercial agents all the time. This deal I'm doing now came to me about three weeks ago. I was away. He just told me about it. I was like, I didn't even need to see it. I was like, I want that building. I'm pretty much going to say yes, but I need to see it on Monday. Why can I do that? Why can I make a decision so quickly? I know the area so well. It's my area, so I know the numbers. I know the building already, because I know most of the buildings. If it was miles away, it would take me so much longer to get to the bottom of it. That's one of the benefits of, of staying within your, your zone that you know really, really well. There's a lot of value in doing that. Corner shops, you can learn loads. Why do you learn loads in corner shops? Sorry? Loads of people go in there. Often, the bloke who owns a corner shop is talking to everyone about what's happening in the local area. So, if I'm going in one of those corner shops, I never, you know, if I need to keep something under wraps, I never really tell them what's going on. But if, if I sort of want the local community to know or think something, I'll always tell the bloke in the local corner shop. Or, you know one of the commercial agents who's showing you around? If you want to sort of disseminate some information, it might not even be true. 
you sort of tell the commercial agent, you'll hear it back round, because they'll go and tell all the other people viewing, oh, this is permitted development, or no, it's not, or, or whatever. Often with the corner shop, they know when people are leaving, when they're coming, you know, what the planning's been before, all that sort of stuff. I've found loads of deals. Right to loads of pub companies, local operators, and, you know, your biggest source is your local commercial agents. So you've got to see them all, write to them, sit in front of them. you just got to keep that contact with them constantly. That was the first building, uh, the one we've just had valued, just finished. They're the numbers. It cost 450 It was 850 development cost. So all in, let's say, it was one point, I don't know, 1.3, something like that, around that number, 1.2, something like that, with professionals because you've got other costs. I had it valued this month. Well, I got the valuation report back this week, and it was valued for three million pounds. It's 38 rooms, split into seven HMO flats and two one-bed flats at the top. So it's pretty good uplift, isn't it? And it rents now. We've got about 25 of the rooms let, and it rents once it's full at 245 grand a year. We'll lose probably about a third of that with you know utilities, gas, electric, all that sort of stuff because it's a it's basically a big cluster flat model, isn't it? You know, student student cluster flats. It's that for professionals. Made it look quite cool. We put the lights on the front, so that's done. That's just filling up now. It's almost almost full. Wow. Yeah. I don't know. Probably. Yeah, they haven't released the rules, have they? But yes, what, you know, it's a load of residential units in a building. It's a conversion. I, I expect the buildings like that will probably fall under these new PRS rules. Yeah, and that'll be quite good because I bet you don't then have contributions in the same way. Did I pay any contributions on that? Sale or affordable housing? No. No. Didn't pay a penny. No, it, this was a drinking, uh, it was like a private members club, not an office. The other one was an office, the one I showed you earlier. Why didn't we pay anything on that? Firstly, I've got a really clever planning consultant. He knows them all at the council. Uh, no, it wasn't empty. No. The reason we didn't pay anything was because he managed to persuade them that it was under 1,000 square metres, so there was no sill. There was no 106 because that had gone, and because it was below the affordable housing threshold, which I'm not sure what that is anyway, because over 15 we don't pay it, so I think that's changed as well. We didn't have to pay any of that. So we managed to get out of all that stuff. I'm going to have to keep going because we're the, apparently. We're, get kicked out we're about. The yeah. Please give Mark a huge round of applause. <laughs> <laughs> John. Hi, John. Hi, John. Hi, John. Right, uh, Mark, in that slide you had retail as under yeah. development. Now, mm. I'm looking at retail. No, it's not, not permitted. Uh, actually, retail's permitted development up to 1,500, well, 150 square metres, very small, uh, enough space probably to do two or three flats. So generally, it's not permitted development. Right, so yeah. where can I research what those what they are, type in to Google, planning portal, uh, permitted development rights, and there's a website that will pop up and it shows you what kind of buildings have permitted development rights. Thank you, John. Charlie? Uh, 
obviously when you're turning that type of building into a HMOs finally. Yeah, those are the rooms, by the way, for that building. Yeah. Yes, na light is one of the biggest things, yeah. How are you obviously like nightclubs when they are yeah. dark in the middle yeah. of nowhere? How are you going to get natural light? You're inside? absolutely right. And that's this deal that I'm sort of trying to do at the moment. We're going to have to cut a massive atrium out to get light into the middle. So with a nightclub, you're probably going to lose quite a lot of floor area because you're going to have to put an atrium or a courtyard in the middle, A, and or light wells that come straight down to bring light into the rooms. Yeah. Yes, uh, seven HMOs. Yeah. Can you bring it back to two bedrooms instead again? Yeah, you can convert it back. You can move, move between C4 HMO and C3 non HMO, two or three. Yeah. Yeah. But I could sell it like it is. We could put it in the auction. The surveyors valued it uh, on a. It's about an eight and a half percent yield. He's valued it. So we could put it in the auction and sell it as an investment as well. Yeah. The question is good to have an exit. It's important, yes. yeah. Um, when, when you're starting out in commercial yeah. development, at what point can you justify getting a, a consultant involved? Planning consultant, yeah, day one. But if you haven't bought it, so you're looking at something. Yeah, you, you need to, I know, but you need to sort of make friends with those guys and um, because they'll steer you around a lot of the bother. It is worth sort of schmoozing them a little bit. I mean, in the early days, I... I probably did spend a thousand or two with our planning consultant before I really knew what and how. But I went through a couple of planning consultants before him, you know, and then I, you've got to kiss some frogs and then you end up with a good one. And I found the good one <laughs> through some local developers who knew what they were doing. What sort of costs? Uh, Yeah, it's a good question. So, what was it on that one? I think it was about 60 grand, 70 grand, 80 grand, between 60 and 80. Yeah. But I spoke to a guy the other day who said it should be 10%. But I, I never seem to spend that. But I'm in Peterborough. Thanks, everyone.